What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, dear listeners. I'm Jonathan Carlin. Oh, and I'm Ben Carlin. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I had a part. (laughs) You do. (laughs) And we invite you to join us through the Gryffindor, your one-way ticket to the enchanting world of Harry Potter. So grab your wands, dust off your broomsticks, and join us as we unlock the secrets behind Philosopher's Stone Chapter 7. The Sorting Hat. I, I gotta say, I feel like because we started just right in chaotic. Yeah, uh, but, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's very fitting because the chapter art for the Sorting Hat. Yeah, is, let's talk about that one just immediately because it is remarkably not the hat. It is. It is. Yeah, I wrote down. I literally like before I even finished chapter six, I looked over and was like, "What the? What is this? What the? What?" Well, I wrote terrible art to chapter name. All it's like one. Yeah, the chapter art, in case you're wondering, depicts Peeves holding the walking sticks, looking all angry and floating up in the air. But like one, the chapter is called the Sorting Hat, and the Sorting Hat and the act of being sorted into Gryffindor for Harry is one of the most significant moments in all of wizarding history, not just like in this book, like of the, and this is a huge monumental moment. So that the chapter art is not the hat or Harry wearing the hat. Like it is terrible. And then not only that, on top of that, the picture of Peeves is also a terrible picture of Peeves. Yeah. It's like, he's not even like funny. It, yeah. Right. I know. Like he's, he's not nearly like whimsical enough. Like he just seems like actually like, like a mean creature. Right. And, and that's not how Peeves is. So, right. Um, he, he should look like everything is a joke. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll come back to, to, I, I can go deep into Peeves, uh, you know, as, as we get closer I know to you the, can. the, the poltergeist yes. uh, lore there. But, um, no, so this was, this was like one of those things where I did write Peeves, uh, you know, who is also famously like le- uh, not in the films. Um, At I think all. probably just like one of those things that was just like too hard to incorporate as like an additional detail. But either which way, I feel like the, the sorting hat is highly depictable. It feels like there's really no excuse. Like I know a lot of times it's like there's a little bit of caution um, being added towards the chapter art, like not being too much of like a giveaway, but like quite literally it's the, called the sorting. It's hat. called the sorting hat. It's yeah. like it's like even though in this chapter, like we will be mildly more informed than the characters themselves about how the sorting is going to go down like we already know it's going to be a hat so anyway just show us just show us the hat the hat show us the hat it's such a cool thing so anyway um but that being said i felt like there was no way to not talk about it first things first yeah as we enter this chapter although Um, i I will say then before we dive too far in that i have some other um some i know last time uh, last week we were number one on the books podcast in sweden if you recall oh yeah yeah shout out to sweden yeah what up sweden (laughs) Well, I was looking through the charts today, and we are we are presently number three in Sweden. So there is that. However, Ben, 
We are number one in books in Lebanon. Lebanon! What's up? <laughs> Perhaps you've heard of us. We're kind of a big deal in Lebanon. Yeah. <laughs> this would be like the new running gag for the show. It's just like, what, which, which country are we the number one on books in this, yeah. this week? We're number three in america okay so that's pretty good i'll take that i mean yeah, way to go to all of our listeners out there i'm i'm just you know i i am just proud of our audience for boosting through the gryffindor to the number three book slot it's pretty cool it's pretty a, cool just just a little United bit of a sophomore States. slump for for sweden that's all you know they'll be back they'll be, look if you're in sweet if you're a swedish listener just go through right now just you know give it a rating give it a review maybe we'll read it next time make sure you include i'm from sweden in your <laughs> review and that i i promise you if there is any if there's a variety i'll pick one of them but if there's not i'll still pick the i'm from sweden one okay so okay. there you go there we go yeah, all right perfect. we'll get to the review later anyway let's talk about the the chapter itself yes the sorting out where yeah mainly what happens is this the the first years arrive into the great hall and they go through the sorting ceremony and that that is uh the most we are introduced to um snape for the first time from afar although the next chapter is called the potions master so we're going to get a full-on introduction there and uh harry sees dumbledore for the first time and uh yeah that's that's the gist of what happens in this chapter but there is still a lot to unpack oh my gosh yeah it's it's just like endless amounts and, and lots of like really cool like i think ideas and stuff but yeah. kind of first and foremost um like so we can kind of get the ball rolling here is the fact that um of all people both ron and hermione are both unaware of what the sorting ceremony actually entails it is very unusual that yes, no one, even Malfoy, doesn't seem like he knows how the sorting is gonna go. Yes, and so like you get like a little bit of like in a like like a um, a suggestion from Ron, sort of on behalf of Fred and George, uh, where where Ron says the line like some sort of test. I think Fred said it hurts a lot, but I think he was joking. And like you know when you know the Weasleys, and then like even if, like especially the more you get to know the Weasleys, it wouldn't surprise you in the slightest that Fred and George were just trying to like mess with Ron. Yeah. But then like in addition to that like you know Hermione knows that like that the the ceiling of the great hall is enchanted because she read about it in Hogwarts of history and it's like how on earth is it possible that Hogwarts of history does not make reference to the sorting hat right like it that it really does not track but Hermione doesn't know how it's going to go either because it says Hermione Granger was whispering very fast but all the spells she'd learned and wondering which one she'd need and it's like you're right it's like there's there is no way that Hermione doesn't know and there's no way that Hogwarts of history doesn't list doesn't mention the sorting hat and like like i mean sure maybe fred and george were messing with ron but like the the they're not his only older brothers. You know, he's the sixth Weasley to be going. There's no way the sorting hat has not come up in his life. Well, so this is this is like where I always think it's kind of interesting because I feel like there's a decent possibility that the sorting hat is quite literally under like its own Fidelius charm. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, I and mean, this the, I subscribe to that theory so hard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because there, there, there is this sort of like really, really unusual like um, nature about how the fact that the sorting hat is never ever discussed with uh, incoming students prior to their sorting, which means that like as students, you are supposed to come in, enter the sorting, and it's like a piece of information that you can know but not share, um, right. I think is what it comes down to. It's like until the hat, it, it, like the way the Fidelius charm would work in this scenario is very similar to like how it's concealed within Grimald 
place right. where Dumbledore is the secret keeper of the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, which in book five is Grimald, number 12, Grimald Place. Right. Whilst Dumbledore is alive, he has to tell each individual person the secret of where it is. And then those people know the information, but they can't tell anybody else about it. Right. So that's how the hat would have to work. The It seems like the hat is under a Fidelius charm where like it itself is the one who has to tell you the secret of itself. Yeah, either that or somehow it's like a like a pass from headmaster to headmaster type of Well, but it's not Dumbledore who tells them about it. Like it is and, and I don't think McGonagall says um tells them about the hat ahead of time either. She just like puts the hat on the stool and then the hat begins to sing. She doesn't like give them instructions like everyone's going to Put on the hat next, right? She even says, like, yeah. uh, like before they enter the great hall, it says the sorting ceremony will take place in a few minutes in front of the rest of the school. I suggest you all smarten yourselves up as much as you can while you are waiting. Yeah, um, which, if anything, almost seems to further suggest that like this is the type of thing where you're about to need to like place put put on some kind of a, a performance or or put your skills on right display. Yeah, um, and then leading up to it, it says Harry quickly looked down again, Professor McGonagall. As Professor McGonagall silently placed a four-legged stool in front of the first years. On top of the stool, she put a pointed wizard's hat. The hat was patched and frayed and extremely dirty. And like no one says anything else, the hat just begins singing. So it seems like the way it's working is that no, no one can tell you about the hat. The hat must tell you about the hat. But I think that this is so vital. I mean, even if you were the founders devising this exact concept, because you don't want students coming into school with like, I mean, they may know like which house that they that they like would prefer or something right. like that. They might know the houses their parents were in, but like they don't know how to prepare for what sorting will be like. And, right. And therefore it's sort of like you don't like you'll know for for 35 seconds prior to your moment what's about to happen. Uh, the the interesting exclusion to this where we do eventually get a commentary about the hat prior to sorting is when Harry in the epilogue. In the yeah. epilogue. So literally we're going from you know chapter seven of book one to not even the last chapter of the series, but the epilogue of the series, where Harry is talking to his son um Albus. Albus. And basically says like the sorting hat takes into consideration like what you want, or at least it did for me. Um and what's interesting about this is that like normally with the Fidelius charm and Dumbledore, for example, in Grimmauld Place, is that upon Dumbledore's death, everybody who then had been told the location would now be able to share the location because they would become new secret keepers right. themselves, which dilutes the power of the Fidelius charm. Um, and but I think like what happens it, at the Battle of Hogwarts is Voldemort summons the sorting, the sorting hat. hat from the headmaster's office, which he then plants on top of Neville's head and then lights it on fire. Right. So what like the the way the theory would go is that when he does this, he effectively kills the sorting hat. Yes. And, and then like every, destroys the Fidelius charm. Well, it destroys it to the tune of now everybody who knows about the sorting hat is now, a secret is now a secret keeper. Right. Meaning anybody who has ever been sorted before is now capable of talking about right. it. Right. Yeah. So conceivably if this if it's still true, Harry could tell Albus about the sorting hat, but then Albus could not tell other people. That is possible. Until yeah. he has been sorted, I guess. Right? D Maybe d depending on how they revive the sorting hat after the fact, right. I think would be the answer to that question. Right, you're right, yeah. Okay, I don't know how it would go from there. But the point is, there is a loophole wherein Harry should be able to tell 
Albus about the sorting hat because Voldemort destroys the the initial Fidelius charm. Yes. 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 So but prior to that is like the only explanation to me for why it's not in Hogwarts history and why Ron himself doesn't know about it. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, Ron would literally be what, you know, he's got one, two, three, four, five, five brothers ahead of him and yeah. two parents, all of whom have been through the Sorted. ceremony. Yeah, it's like, it's like, this is never come up around the dinner table before at any point in time. Like, um, but what I love about that though, is that there's like a completely in universe explanation. That's also kind of cool. Yeah, you it know? is very so cool. It's, it's like, it's like you can look at this as sort of like a loophole or a plot hole or something like that. Uh, but instead I think it's just like, you just got to find the clever explanation. And, and in my mind, that's, that's my own personal. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, I think that's pretty fun. And we know that the Fidelis charm can be broken by powerful spells because that's exactly what happens to the Potter's house, which ironically all also by Voldemort. <laughs> yes, yeah, right, exactly. Um, yep, so that's that's exactly right. The, the other kind of interesting thing here that I that I found is like another one of those um, little bit of like an interesting inconsistency is the stool itself. Um, I think that in Prisoner of Azkaban, and I, I went through and I was trying to fact check this a little bit, and it seems like things have also been like edited throughout the years, but I think when Flitwick brings out the, the stool for the sorting ceremony in Prisoner, it's a three-legged stool, or oh. it has once been described as a three-legged stool and it's since been corrected to be a four-legged stool but this is kind of funny because i am absolutely certain that in j versus ben trivia before we have had the question before how many yeah. how like how many legs are on the stool and it basically is like it pretty much has to be three or four yeah um so I, that's kind of like one of those things where it's like was that like an inconsistency that was like covered up is there any like other reason about a three-legged stool that like like it wouldn't be the correct kind of stool or I, th I think the the reason like if you wanted to back i don't know so are, are we are you saying that it did say three in here it, it's it, it uh, has been see. corrected. If you go to the the latest copy of Prisoner of Azkaban, it's okay. a, it says four in here and it says four now in Prisoner of Azkaban. But there are reports online that at one point in time, Prisoner described a three legged stool. Oh, OK. That seems backwards. I can see I could have argued towards like it being a three legged stool here and have been a four legged stool in Prisoner. Because solely because the three-legged stool could then represent Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. Okay. And like would omit the and would be three-legged because Slytherin had split from the school. And okay. then after Chamber of Secrets, the like the Chamber of Secrets like lore would have been resolved, at which point the stool the stool could have four legs again because like the school would no longer be That's split by that particular mystery, which was what happened upon Slytherin splitting from the school. Pretty but apparently it's backwards, so I don't think that actually tracks. <laughs> I don't know. That's very interesting. But while you're on that exact note, I think it's a perfect time to jump just a little bit ahead and we can always jump back. Yeah. Um, there is, of course, the opening uh, feast uh, sentiment from uh, Mr. Albus Dumbledore, and, and it, it feels like pure chaos, but I'm going to let you explain it. So the, the famous line is, uh, nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Yes, so he says his complete nonsense words, and Harry, and everyone applauds, and Harry's like, what What was that about? Is, is, is he mad? And he asks Percy the Prefect, and I love that he's continuously listed as Percy the Prefect. Um, we made a video about these this random line of dialogue once upon a time, about like what, what on earth does he mean here? And our, ex our own explanation is that um, each word, nitwit, blubber, oddment, and tweak, are all meant to be uh, represent the opposing ideals of each house. So, for example, 
uh, a nitwit would be like the opposite of Ravenclaw. Yeah, like the, like like where a, where a nitwit might suggest like lacking in intelligence right. or, or smarts. Um, so then Blubber, we said was this. I went back and reread our own script, so I that's sort of where I'm going from here. But we said Blubber would uh, represent the opposite of a Gryffindor, um, meaning someone who is maybe like uh, Blubber just means fat. So that's perhaps like the a word eleven year old might use to put down someone who is like less athletic. Which, if you're in Gryffindor, they are like a little bit more bold and daring. So it's like um, athle- <clears throat> athletics might be something they would take very seriously. And by might, I mean there actually is a line from Snape where he tells Harry that if his Quidditch team loses, it'll be the first time Gryffindor finished at the bottom of the table in 200 years. So like it is definitely a house that takes athletics seriously because that means Gryffindor has never finished less than third in a four-team contest in two centuries. In two centuries, yeah. And there, there's additionally like the uh, like the layer we'll, we get from um, Nearly Headless Nick that uh, Slytherin has won the House Cup for how many years in a row now? It is six years in a row. Six years in a row. But yeah. I, I think that it's interesting to to note that I think it's it's they have not won the house or they've won the House Cup six years running. But I think that at least while Charlie Weasley was on the oh um, on the Gryffindor Quidditch, Gryffindor team. Quidditch yeah. team, it means that Gryffindor has won the Quidditch Cup more recently more recently than the house cup although yeah. i guess they're there i would suspect that usually who wins the quidditch cup also wins the house cup but it's not always right a yeah, mirror okay. that's that's true that's yeah. true um, um next up we said that I, I i almost disagree with our past selves here we said oddment uh it means a remnant part of something like left over from a larger piece or set uh which is no longer useful so like if you had like a large piece of cloth and all that was left for a few scraps that would not that weren't really functional or anything those would be the oddments. So our argument in our video was that an oddment would be the opposite of Slytherin, who as far as the books or Dumbledore go would view uh, the Slytherins as really valuing pure bloodedness. So i.e., if you're like a half blood or any fraction of magicalness that isn't 100%, you are an oddment and not worthy of magical education. But I would almost think you could also argue oddment for Hufflepuff because she like she took the rest like took the the oddments oh i yeah <laughs> you know? i, I kind of see what you mean yeah like i mean that's that's sort of like the the entire mantra of of hufflepuff of of hufflepuff house yeah. is that they're just sort of like the like open-armed you know the, like group it's sort of like everybody's welcome here right um yeah. So. Um, but so then otherwise, uh, then Tweak, of course, would be left for Hufflepuff, at least in our initial video. Um, the Hufflepuffs are like loyal and hardworking and humble and down to earth. So from their point of view, they may think the value placed on things like courage or wit or cunning by the other three houses were a little excessive and needs to be tweaked. Tweaked. Okay. So interesting. Um, but then the point of it as often is the case with Dumbledore is that like it's not about like the difference or differences between the houses the 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 school functions best when the houses are all like supporting one another and it's more of like a, a unified thing so the idea would be that look 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 at these funny look these are words that anyone in your house might use to describe the members of the other houses. Sure. So like if you're in Gryffindor, you might call the Ravenclaws nitwits as like an insult or something. Like, like a way to like needle them specifically. Right. That, supposedly that would be the way to like to, to get through to them or something. Yeah. Right. Like, but the point is that Dumbledore is trying to make at least according, you know, <laughs> the uh, uh, my our theory is that um, he's saying these things is like, look, the irony is that the 
all of you might think of these words to describe the other houses, and yet you're all doing it because you're all actually the same. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Yes, I love it. I yeah. love it. And, and it's another one of these things where, like, I feel like uh, Dumbledore sort of has this, like, kind of constant air of whimsy. I feel like it hails back to the fact that he, you know, again, uses, like, candy as, like, his um, passwords for all mm-hmm. of his, you know, to, to get into, you know, his office and stuff like that. Like, it, it comes across as, like, a little bit of, like, silliness, which I think we see even more of, uh, you know, further on in the chapter when they sing the school song. And, oh, yeah. You know, like, it's like one of these things where, like, Dumbledore almost seems to, like, be like, at your own pace, yeah. which is, like, usually not the way that you sing songs. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, like, at the rhythm that the song is supposed to be sung. And then, of yeah. course, you know, Fred and George just fully <laughs> lean into... Um, you the know, funeral march. The funeral yeah. march, yeah, <laughs> which, you know, they're just going at like a, like a painfully slow... I know. I um, wrote, like, a little note next to the song, which I don't think ever comes up again, like, in any of the other opening feast it's not like all right and now it's time to sing the song or anything like that but um my note is that my head canon is that i like to think that uh godric and salazar are the ones who wrote the lyrics to the song together okay and, like they just kept coming up with like because it's very silly and i like to think that they were just coming up with like silly things like we need a school song and helga and rowena were over there like you guys you, I, I don't like it they're like no 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 no. here's the fun part here's the fun part guys you can sing it to any tune any tune at all that's right. the fun part that's what makes it so whimsical and they're like okay well (sighs) this goes back to like our our favorite headcanon which is just simply that uh the friendship between godric and sal as we always like to call them sal as sal um is is nothing but like jovial and and it's like the friendship everybody has always wanted it's like like fully founded on mutual respect and humor and talent and like regard exactly. and respect. And it's like, so the idea in, in our which minds, is what the sorting hat says, it says like Salazar and like, we're, it, it asks of the school, were there ever better friends than Gryffindor and Slytherin? Unless it was the other two of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. Right, right. Yeah. Even the fact that um, there, there's the line in the original song from the Sorting Hat that says, uh, or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, which which I was like, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that it regards Ravenclaw as wise and old, which, I mean, you you would assume on some level that these were <coughs> some of the most powerful witches and wizards of, of ever. Uh, so they probably lived like nice long lives and stuff like that. Um, but for for Ravenclaw to receive those, those accolades specifically of wise and old, um, makes me feel like there's a decent possibility that Ravenclaw is like a fair bit older than the other founders mm, as, as their founding. Right. Um, which, which I, I, I don't know if I have anything like really interesting in terms of, or, like, or just more because the way the sorting hat was formed was that Gryffindor took the hat off his head, which I like to think all the founders made fun of him for, because it's oh, no, very but, silly looking. No, but he, but he like sported it and he's like, it's totally <laughs> working. <laughs> I, here, my head cannon is that he came back from like a, from like a farmer's market type village shop one day and is sporting the hat and is, like guys guys what do you think what do you think and they all look at him and just immediately begin making fun of him and he's like i'm keeping it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely. (laughs) and then it goes on to be the sorting cat which is fantastic so if anyone wants uh you know me and ben to write a founder series one day we're open to it and i have a million ideas about how it would go but in any case um Wise old Ravenclaw, the way, so eventually they need a way to sort the the students in the houses after they are gone. So Gryffindor takes the sorting hat off of his head and they each put a little bit of themselves in there. So to me, this is just more of like, um, them just like teasing one another it's like like i can i can imagine even if they're all like in their mid-20s or something that they just they always refer to like 
Rowena is like, oh, why is old Ravenclaw over there? Oh, yeah, yeah that, <laughs> I know? can see that too. It, yeah. it, it like really bothers her because she's so prim and proper. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. right. I, like, like it's almost like she's not actually older at all. It's just, right. it's just like her innate maturity. Exactly. <laughs> mm. Yeah, being classic Sal and Godric. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. totally using it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, such fun. Such jokesters. Such jokesters. <laughs> um, no, so I love that. Um, it, going back to, again, the, the Sorting Hats original song, though, there's a couple of, there's, there's a couple of lines that are, that are pretty just you know great in here but yes. the uh, the one that stood out to me this time around was um like uh, it says oh you may not think i'm pretty but don't judge on what you see i'll eat myself if you can find a smarter hat than me uh the i'll eat myself is a really funny reference to just like like uh like a um sort of slang throwaway term it's like like i'll eat my hat oh you yes. know and it's like it's like he like the sorting hat is basically saying like i'll eat myself because i can't eat my hat because i am a hat oh um, i also like when he says for i'm the hogwarts sorting hat and I can cap them all and it's like he's making a hat pun <laughs> yeah <laughs> he the hat is making a hat pun about capping people that's hilarious um, I also uh, what I appreciate about the opening song is that despite it's it, this is I think very cleverly done is that despite all of the negativity you've heard about Slytherin going in it the hat itself does not give Slytherin like a negative Spin. Spin. Yeah. He just says, you'll make your real friends. Those cunny folks use any means to achieve their ends. And it's like, you could interpret that, but it's like, for all intents and purposes, that that's just like, you know, oh, yeah, these, these people get stuff done. Um, but, but, I don't know if you ever do this. Whenever I read this particular phrasing, it's like, I always feel like the word bitter has been left out. Like, these cunning folks use any means to achieve their bitter ends. Like, I don't know. I don't know why my brain always fills that in. Do you ever fill that in? I have never filled that in in my head before, but I, I can I can I can absolutely see like where you are coming from. Right. Because that like is that a phrase like to achieve is like bitter. Is that part of like a phrase? To the, I mean, like the like the phrase like to the bitter end, it, you know, is yeah. sort of like like and and you know and, and they held out till the bitter end. It you know like it, it feels to me like the way it's worded is meant to leave the word bitter hanging in the air. Like oh, you thought we were going to say that, but I made it a little more fair. Sure. And it's like no, but you but but actually it is more negative because it's Slytherin. <laughs> So, so do you think that the, that the the Sorting Hat is sort of like letting the audience itself sort of like interpret what it's left out? Like it's like it's yes. it's like I'm not gonna be like actively anti Slytherin in my in my my spiel here. Um, I do think it's interesting that Slytherin. Um, comes last both in in the song and also when Professor McGonagall is listing off the various houses. Uh, four houses are called Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin. So, like, she does even lead with her own house, which is Gryffindor. she does. That's actually the same order the hat goes in. Okay, okay as well. So, yeah, so maybe that's maybe that's uh, it, it's also alphabetical, is it? It not? is. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah. yeah. Who take, knows? Take Who things. knows? Okay. Interpret it what you will. There. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't have too much more to say about the song itself but then we do get into the the sorting where you get introduced to just a myriad of students some of whom go on to uh show up as like harry's friends or classmates later on some of whom like brocklehurst mandy never hear from them again yeah i know, you know? It, it, it's um yeah so you've got like like millicent bullstrode who who comes up just all the time and always lavender brown but yeah you're right uh there's there's another character who i think um i was reading i'm trying to find what their name is now because of course it is like actively forgettable um 
I think it's Sally Ann Perks, maybe, um, is is like one of the names that's listed. And I think later in book five, when they're like reading off names to like step forth for your uh, like OWLs examinations, you get like a lot of throwbacks to these early names. But like, yeah. this is one of the ones that's just like left off. Which so, one? Uh, I think it's Sally Ann Perks. Sally Ann Perks. Did I, did I miss that reading through just now? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's after Patil and Patil and then oh. Perks, Sally Ann. Oh, Sally Ann Perks. Wow, you're right. There it is again. What a forgettable name. Um, there's a, f- yeah, man, there's, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of other interesting things that I feel like happened during the, the sorting, uh, Seamus Finnegan, for example, is like someone who is, is like one of the only ones that gets like a, uh, like, well, Neville does too, but, um, Seamus specifically has like a little bit of like a pause. Yeah. Um, and what, what's interesting about that is Seamus is the one sorted directly before <coughs> Hermione, who quite literally we know through like Pottermore reading is a hat stall. Yeah. So it's like, it literally says like Finnegan Seamus, the sandy haired boy next to Harry uh, in line, sat on the stool for almost a whole minute before the hat declared him a Gryffindor. And then Granger Hermione, and it's just like, you know, the hat hat went on her yeah. head. Gryffindor. I know. Like, it's like, the, it, it. this is definitely like a retcon thing where it's like, oh, mm, Hermione, definitely that one was more important. <laughs> but, but like, where else would you have even put like Seamus? Like, I don't, I, like, it doesn't seem like he in the same way as like some of the others have like an obvious like, like you could say like Ron and Hufflepuff, Hermione and Ravenclaw, like, you know, Neville and Neville and Hufflepuff or whatever. Like, but this, this is not one where oh, I'm, I know. like, like Seamus is always like embodied. I know. I like, I underlined almost a whole minute and wrote down like, I wonder what the debate was between. I know. Oh, yeah, like that's it. I, the only thing that really stands out to me is that later on in book five, when the ministry is like attacking Harry, Seamus is like the the Gryffindor boy who's kind of against Harry that year, like clinging more to like his his mom's beliefs that the ministry is correct. Um, and I don't know what where that would place Seamus otherwise than though, like what what that attitude might represent, like possibly like he's just like more loyal to his family so maybe like Hufflepuff or something or maybe just like all the Slytherins are against Harry so maybe Slytherin it doesn't seem like there I don't have any arguments for Ravenclaw yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem like he's ever been like described as 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 like being like a like a super student or something like that he almost seems more like a little bit of like a like a class clown jokester type yeah Um, I mean like the the attitude he displays when he isn't aligning with Harry is like maybe more similar to like Zachariah Smith yeah, um, who is in Hufflepuff? Right, that's a good point. That's um, a good point. I guess so, it could be that one. But this, but. I mean, this just goes to show as well that like your, you know, your sorting doesn't always like like perfectly indicate you know necessarily what your what your characteristics will be like. So yeah, um, there there is that. But yeah, so then Hermione of course does get sorted, and and it does feel like there's just like a bit of like a, a quick oversight that she would be like a candidate for Ravenclaw in there, like with you know just like being extremely studious and, and valuing like intelligence and wanting to excel. Yeah, uh, particularly like with grades and stuff like that um then we do get neville uh who it does give us like uh just the phrase the hat took a long time to decide with neville when it finally shouted gryffindor um you know so that's that's sort of like you know we we do we do know why yeah that and then he gives the hat to uh morag mcdougall who never comes up again as far as i'm concerned i I, yeah i specifically looked up morag because i was like is this the name of uh era I almost did the thing. You oh, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Aragog's wife. Mosag. Mosag. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, Morag is the name of the second most famous, like, lock monster. Um, like, besides the Loch Ness monster? B- besides Nessie. Okay. Morag is the next most highly regarded 
like lock monster. Oh, okay. Like um, lake monster. Lake monster. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so the, like the, the decision for the, the use of the name Morag is, is possibly could be a reference to that's interesting. That, like well, the other thing that stood out here, and I can never remember this, is the is the the surname McDougal, because I gosh, is I know, whenever there like when you learn McGonagall's backstory, if you do some like extra reading on Pottermore, I can never remember whether she was like engaged to Gregor McDougal or Dougal McGregor. Dougal McGregor. It's Dougal McGregor. Okay, yeah. never mind. Not important. Not, not related. Not I wrote that. I was like, wait, Gregor McDougal? Was that related? Is this is this who that did 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 McGonagall's ex flame marry someone else and someone else and produce Morag? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. I know, I know. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Like, and, the, and then it has to be McGonagall who like called them forward. Like, yeah, like <laughs> McDougal. She's having like a little private battle of, over there. I know. Yeah, and yeah. Then this <laughs> Better not be in Gryffindor. <laughs> I know, but but uh, let's see. But we don't even know where Morag goes. <laughs> yeah, we don't know at all. Except, I guess, not Gryffindor. Not Gryffindor. Yeah. Yeah. We know that much. Um, uh, then Moon comes after him, and there's just like a little bit of trivia around uh, Moon, who was also never mentioned again. But. Uh, the, the the character here in Harry's year with the last name Moon that was originally going to be the character of Luna Lovegood. Yes, yeah. Where Luna, of course, is is the Spanish word for Moon. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that is always like one of the interesting ones when like Luna goes on to be such a prominent uh, part of the group as the story unfolds because like everyone else in their lineup, like you meet Ginny, Neville, Harry, Ron, Hermione all right away. Yeah. They're, they're all there the whole time. And then Luna doesn't make her appearance until book five. I know it's, it's like remarkable that, which is like, I mean, I would have loved to have been known what Luna was thinking during like chamber of secrets, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's she doing? Cause she's there. Certainly Luna has something to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, i in, in chances are, but you know, we, we just made a video a couple weeks ago. Like Luna's always right. Like chances are Luna would have totally like been, been able to be like, oh, it's obvious. It's a hundred percent. Basilisks aren't real Luna. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be so funny. Cause if she brought that up, it'd be like, that's a pretty good guess, actually. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now right. that you say it. Now, yeah, now you say it, yeah, that's, that's pretty mm -hmm. spot on. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And, yep. And Luna does seem to have like a bit of a, a bit of a, a knowledge base about Fantastic Beasts, so it seems it seems entirely possible mm -hmm. that she would she actually would have cracked open the otherwise non-essential reading Fantastic Beasts and where to find them as as a first year. I know, as a first year, there she is, right there. Because yep. is that one of those that's like not in there? What's not in there? The basilisk. Oh, maybe it's. Ah. Oh man, I can't remember now. My my brain, my brain literally was was like like having a ping pong battle on whether or not I thought it was. I thought it was. God, I am so curious now. I want to know because this is like a weird thing. If you that you can like buy the uh, apparent textbook Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, which is published for us mug us muggles apparently. But you're like buying like Newt Scamander's version of it. Yes. Yeah, and like. But what's weird about it is that there are so many animals that, like, even in the movies for the Fantastic Beast movies, you see Newt interact with that are not in the book. Notably, the Zowu is like one of the really yeah. big ones, and then the Manticore, I think, is like a very misrepresented yeah. creature. It's in not there. In the, then there's the um, the swooping evil, which is like Newt's like little ace monster up his sleeve, like the entire first movie. That's not in there. Or the Chillin. Or um, the Chillin. Yeah, which is yeah. spelled. 
Q I L I N. Yeah, yeah. The chillin. That's like the little um, horse dragon thing that can tell whether or not you're pure of heart. And it's like you can see maybe why Newt wouldn't put that in there. Like he like within the context of the movie um, Secrets of Dumbledore, the chillin is this like super rare animal that like is nearly in danger. There's like maybe three in the world or something. Would you describe it as a horse dragon? That is what it. I would describe it as a deer. But when I was recently reading about it for a video, the Wikipedia page listed it as like a cro- as like a half dragon, half horse. Oh, and I okay. was like, I was gonna say I would go with deer like eleven times out oh, of ten. Uh, so would I. So would I. But apparently that's what it's supposed to look like is half dragon, half horse. Okay. So anyway, um, I can see why Newt, who cares about Fantastic Beasts and their preservation, would not actually list where to find it or tell you anything about the chillin at all. So I, now I'm wondering though, like if if basilisks are in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, then there's almost no reason the entire school isn't immediately on to the fact that it's a basilisk because, like, even first year should have learned about them. Right. So then it would almost be interesting if it's not in there because it's like, that's how they didn't figure it out. That's why they didn't figure it out. This is really your fault, Newt. Newt. Come on, man. Although they literally have the chocolate frog card with Dumbledore on it that has Nicholas Flamel, and nobody can think of why the name like rings a bell in the back of their mind. Well, so. that's true, too. But like, it doesn't just have to be first year. It's surprising to me that Dumbledore can't figure out it's a basilisk, you know? This, uh, this <laughs> Especially because it has happened. 50, he's had 50 years to think about it. Yes. You know? Why why does a Dumbledore ask Myrtle anything? Yeah, how yeah. has no one asked him, asked Myrtle how she died? It is so also actually also on that exact note in this exact chapter, the same thing happens where they're talking to nearly headless Nick and Seamus asks nearly headless Nick, how did he get covered in blood about the bloody Baron and nearly headless Nick says, I've never asked. Are you kidding me, Nick? Are you kidding me? You haven't asked the bloody Baron how he died in the last one thousand years because that's ridiculous if you ask me and honestly if you had asked him then you could have answered this question right here and we might have solved the entire diadem mystery on like day one so i blame and nearly had the snick on this one well there you go but you said a thousand years and it, it set me up perfectly because specifically in uh the book it is written as like we know that we go to um uh nearly headless nick's 500th oh, death sorry. day party you're right the bloody baron though was alive at the same time as Salazar Slytherin. You're correct. So, so the Bloody Baron... He's been dead for about 500 years longer. Yes, yeah, so the Bloody Baron's been there twice as long as, yeah. as Nearly Headless Nick. However, in the audiobook, again, this is like one of those, um, like like another like small edit, but the audiobook does say it's been... Uh, he hasn't eaten anything for nearly 400 years, uh, oh, but, but it is edited <laughs> after the fact for nearly 500 years because we know that he was killed in the year 1492 uh, and then 500 year 500 years later would be 1992 which is when the chamber of secrets is opened and also when he has his 500th death day party on halloween on halloween i always feel like the fact that it's specifically like 1492 i'm like is there some type of strange like Christopher Columbus exploration related detail. It's like 1492 was just such an obscure date for it to also have like otherwise noteworthiness, which right. is, you know, the year that. Yeah. That nearly the Nick was killed. Yeah. In Columbus yeah. sailed. So and Columbus sailed. Yeah. Like, what are the odds of that? So anyway, that's, that's just the total brief aside, but I always think it's interesting whenever, uh, cause I, I will, 
uh, read and listen to the book uh, or the chapters before we do our episodes. And like when there are those like little um, like like isms, it's yeah, like corrections. Oh, yeah. <coughs> because obviously Jim Dale recorded this, you know, like oh yeah, like forever ago. Yeah, for, yeah. So I mean, he recorded it with whatever the original phrasing was. Yeah. So just another small modification That's that, pretty I, funny. that I caught there. Through the Gryffindor is supported by Rosetta Stone. As much as I love getting lost in a fictional world, I also love traveling abroad and getting lost out in the real world. And by getting lost, I of course mean finding adventure. And just like mastering the intricate spells of the wizarding world, learning a new language can be an adventure all on its own. With Rosetta Stone's innovative language learning programs, you can unlock the secrets of communication from the comfort of your own common room. And Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. I think where I personally always struggled in school trying to learn a new language is the classes were long and my attention simply would drift, but Rosetta Stone provides lessons as short as 10 minutes. You could even do it during your morning commute, making it perfect for any attention span. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Through the Gryffindor listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me tell you what, I wish I had more time. Between time for family, work, exercise, and household responsibility, life keeps me so busy. So much so that part of my own problem is that even when I do find a window of time to do something just for me, I'm not even sure what I want it to be. Like read a book, take a nap, contemplate the turnings of the world. It's strange, but at some point in time, I may have lost the thread on what I actually want to do with my own time. And that's where therapy can really, truly help. It's one of the primary topics I bring up in my own sessions. How do I recognize my own genuine passions versus what I think the world, family, or social media might want me to do? Finding breakthroughs in this department has been massive. It means my downtime is actually refilling my cup compared to being worn out attempting to keep up in the rat race of life. If you're ever finding yourself grappling with something similar, consider therapy with better help. It's entirely on designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Gryffindor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Gryffindor. Through the Gryffindor is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Okay, so are you guys like me? Like where you watch the Avengers, you're like, wow, Nick Fury has no idea how to assemble a team. I would make so many changes. Well, with Marvel Strike Force, you can do just that. Because this game is all about engaging in epic battles, strategically assembling your team of heroes and villains to stop the evil Ultimus. But it is really not just about the battles. I mean, Marvel Strike Force offers an immersive storyline, stunning graphics, and a vast roster of characters to collect an upgrade from Spider-Man to Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom to Black Panther, the entire Marvel Universe is yours to explore. So seriously, it doesn't even matter if you're a hardcore Marvel fan or not, or whether you're just looking for like an action-packed, 
Minecraft RPG experience. Download Marvel Strike Force now on the App Store or Google Play Store and join millions of players worldwide and unleash the power of the Marvel Universe on your mobile device. Plus, this is kind of the cool thing and maybe why you want to do it like right now is because the Deadpool anniversary event is going on right now. So there's like weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you receive special awards and skins and all that fun, cool cosmetic upgrade stuff. And, and we have a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow the link in our description. That's how they know you came from us and use the promo code max pool. And once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Harry sees Professor Quirrell up at the table um, as he's looking down there, and I guess it describes him as he was very looking. He was looking very peculiar in a large purple turban. This is like I made a note. Like, was he not wearing the turban when they met the first time? I guess not. We made this point, I think, actually, because at at the time that he would have met Harry. Uh, at the leaky cauldron, Harry shakes his hand, and it's be- like he's wearing the turban to conceal. Yeah, I mean he's wearing the turban now to conceal Voldemort. Right, but Harry shakes his hand, which means that Voldemort wasn't occupying his body at the time of the leaky cauldron. Right. So this was a change. So I actually appreciate this line because it does explain that there that something has happened. Uh, right. uh, of note in in this like iterum, um, but the the. Um, I always thought that this line was was such a like the misdirect between Quirrell and Snape throughout this whole book. Yeah, is is so like well played. Even in the movies, the, you, like you have the scene like where Harry like makes you know like eye contact with Snape and like Quirrell is quite literally like, like facing looking, the other way behind yeah. them. It's like it's like man, like you know you you have to get that detail right because it is so important. But it's so easy to not realize what's oh, yeah. actually happening. Oh, it's it's very good. And then the same thing happens at the Quidditch match when like um, Hermione lights Snape's robes on fire. Like it, you can go see Quirrell get knocked down. Yes. Like, that's actually what does it, which is sneaky. The the thing about this particular scene, it's like it is cleverly done where it's like Quirrell's looking the other way, which so it's actually Voldemort causing his scar to hurt, not Snape. But like what that sort of means is that like for the rest of the year, Quirrell never had his back turned to Harry, like in class or anything, you know. Well, he is he is facing the class with a rather large iguana. As uh, we uh, yeah, we all <laughs> seen that one, of course, of course. Yeah, it, well. it, it is one of those things where where uh, it is so hilarious to me that in the films when they show Quirrell teaching that he's that he's holding this just comically large iguana because it's just such a like obviously non magical creature. But like, <laughs> like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Why yeah, not? okay. May as well have him holding that iguana. I, I, we got to scoot for it because we just did. Uh, we just did a really fun. We shot a really funny Jay versus Ben about treats in uh, yes, the, the Wizarding World, and we had a conversation about this particular treat, which is the peppermint humbugs. Yeah. Um, and notably, uh, it is one of like the items when, when when all the food appears in the Great Hall, which has always been like when I was a kid, I was like, oh my gosh, this would be like so cool and interesting and fascinating. Actually, even on that note, let me pause for like one more second. Um, I have seen a theory before that Nitwit, Blubber, Oddment, and Tweak are names of house elves who that like prepared oh, the feast. Oh, that's an interesting one. So what Dumbledore is actually doing here is recognizing the the house elves who had contributed to that year's feast. I like that theory too. Because it's literally like it's what he says and then he says thank you and then the feast appears. Um, yeah. So it's it's literally like one of those things where it's like oh that, that's kind of like a fun other explanation otherwise. Um, but this is so funny because I think what we were talking about 
where were we? Somewhere- I think it's in Hagrid's coat. There, it is described that there are peppermint humbu- humbugs yes. in his coat, and like Harry identifies them as peppermint humbugs and we were unsure like is that like a british thing because if it's a magic thing harry shouldn't know what they are yet yes and okay. it, it is we i i have i've looked it up it is a hard boiled sweet uh that is like notable in like a bunch of different countries but specifically uh great britain is, okay is one where so, so the for some reason peppermint humbugs is like a and for some reason um, this random candy, yes, this like, muggle candy. Yes, which also uh, comes out with like the main course. Like, so to think of a candy as, oh, yeah. as being something because then dessert pops up. Oh yeah, um, not with the peppermint humbug. So yes. This is one with like peppermint humbugs. It sounds like, oh, whatever you must like it, when I read that, I'm like humbug must be like a word for some sort of a different word for like a, a certain kind of insect in Europe. Oh, and, sure, yes. And yeah. now there are like peppermint humbugs. Right. How magical. Like, yeah, like chocolate it, frog. <laughs> it, it sounds very like like yeah. whimsical. But but I do know, I mean, like it's not uncommon, you know, like in the same way that people carry gum or mints or something in their pocket. Like I feel like that's probably just like why Hagrid had them. He's, he, they were effectively just like mints. Um, so again, just like one of those things where like, you know, as an American where this, it didn't immediately mean something, you just sort of assumed that it was magical and it's not. Um, so I I thought that was, I thought that was fascinating and also fascinating that Harry specifically does not, uh, he grabs one of everything except for the, the peppermints. And he's like, never mind that peppermints. (laughs) I don't think so. You know what he does grab Ben potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. I don't know what there is this, this, once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. There's just this like running theme that the Gryffindors love. Love potatoes. So, like, there's right here. Percy's having some potatoes. Offers them to Harry, and then amongst maybe it's just like magical people like potatoes, which just doesn't seem like a very magical food. But there's all these things showing up on the table, and there are boiled potatoes, roast potatoes, and fries. So they, the the house elves, uh, maybe Nitwit, Blubber, Oddment, and Tweak have made. <laughs> Three different kinds of potato offerings for the students. <laughs> it's like how, how many different? Yeah, Why? How, how many starches do we need in this dish tonight? It's I like, know. Is three enough? Should we go for four? I'm gonna fill them up. Fill right. them up. We could throw some baked potatoes in if we want. We to. could do it. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. just a just a snap of the fingers. Yeah. So then we then we get like you know of course yeah the introduction to the ghosts. Um, yep. You know throughout this chapter we do get like a little bit of backstory on three of the four ghosts, but not the gray lady. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting. Because well, what's interesting is that it describes that there being like. 20 different ghosts or whatever that's true yeah but then it's like nearly headless nick definitely describes the bloody baron as the slytherin ghost and right. nick is definitely the gryffindor like there is like a a a house ghost per house and yet that leaves like 16 other ghosts that are also there that must have gone to hogwarts because why else would they be haunting hogwarts and true. yet and if they went to Hogwarts, they were sorted into houses. So why aren't they considered house ghosts? It's it, you know, it's not entirely clear. Maybe not it's just like clear. the. Um, I think we eventually learned that the Forbidden Forest is like a home to a bunch of magical creatures, so it's like a safe place for them to live. So maybe it's the same with ghosts, where it's just sort of like you can flock to Hogwarts and like you're welcome here. But yeah. they still would have gone there. They, they, yes, they probably would have. I guess, but like Myrtle is like in the bathroom and she was in Ravenclaw, but she's not, I mean, she's not the Ravenclaw ghost, but she's a ghost she's, who she's, was in Ravenclaw. She's the ghost of that bathroom. She's the ghost <laughs> of that bathroom, that's for sure, with a mysterious death that no one asks her about, even though there is such an obvious way to figure out who killed her. Yeah. My goodness, what a serious 
serious oversight. It is. It is indeed. The the other, maybe not an oversight, but uh, the way that Neville sort of like sidesteps, like everybody's kind of talking about like what their heritage is like. So Seamus is sort of saying like, you know, my dad's a muggle, mom's a witch, you know, a bit of a nasty shock for him. Um, you know, and then Neville uh, like is just sort of like, well, my grand brought me up. And then like, you know, talks about like my great uncle Algy and like some other like family members and stuff. Um, great auntie Enid. Um, but I, I always think the fact that like the great uncle Algy here um like algae is sort of like uh like a a thing that grows and neville obviously goes on to have um some pretty significant like abilities in the field of herbology and will eventually teach herbology yeah uh at the school so i feel like it's sort of an interesting like little nod to like something that he will eventually have like talent in right um and i you know for the longest time this is like one of those things i always thought the the great uncle algae and the story of like neville bouncing like in my head this was like additional reading this was like like oh like yeah you know like if you want to read more about neville like you know he didn't show his magical abilities early so like like whatever like you know we can go into the whole the whole history of that um but no it's just like right here in the canon it's a it's a rather large chapter about neville's backstory none of which includes anything to do with his parents yep actually this is a thing i'm surprised that hasn't been like retconned to the tune of the four legs or whatever but um when neville's talking about it or when they're talking about family says well my grand brought me up and she's a witch said neville but the family thought i was all muggle for ages and it's like all muggle is really not the right word for that um, situation. It's like the word is squib, right? You're right. You know, there's really no reason that Neville, the pure blood from the pure blood family, wouldn't say the word, wouldn't know the word squib. squib. And it, this feels like the, um, the like Dementor. the Dementor problem. That's yeah. what I wrote down was the Dementor problem, where it's like um, the term squib. They don't. It like doesn't want to be introduced until Filch next year. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, when when you're actually going to learn it. And so until then, we'll just say non magical or all muggle. But um, yeah, that definitely should be the word squib. But it's like they describe the Dementors as the Azkaban guards right up until Harry meets one. And then they're just called Dementors from there on out because it's like just meant to be a reveal for the audience, I guess. Yeah, that, that's exactly <coughs> what it is. But but you, you did team me up nicely there with, okay. with your reference to, to good old Argus. Yeah. Mr. Oh, Mr. Filch. So oh, Mr. Filch. He, he is not yet referred to as a squib. And I feel like for good reason, because I don't think he's a squib at all. I think he's a poltergeist. Yeah. yeah. This, this has forever been one of like, well, in my personal opinion, I feel like it's like one of the like like just most concrete theories that we've that we've come up with. It just makes sense. It, it does make sense. So basically, like the idea because Filch does not make sense. Filch doesn't. It's like why would you have somebody who is so like non magical existing inside of this castle full of magical calamities, and his job is to solve magical calamities when clearly all of the other professors can quite literally like like the swamp that friend George create. Like Flitwick, I think, cleans it up with like the flick of his wand. Yeah. You know, and like intentionally leaves a portion of it as like a as like a you know a tribute to the twins departure yeah. and stuff like that. Like it's it's this it's a situation where it doesn't even seem like as time goes on, like Dumbledore necessarily like super like respects Filch's ultimate authority inside of the castle. Like, you know, I think he's like, it's maybe like two books from now or something like that, but Dumbledore will eventually make a reference. That's like, you know, you're not to use products from wherever, as I've been reminded by Filch, like 392 times or something like that. Um, And it's like, it's just so interesting because, you know, Dumbledore is always gracious to everybody. So like, you know, it seems like he would always respect everything, but, um, you know, it's just, I don't know, like everything, everything about Filch doesn't make sense, but then his, his opposition is always P 
Peeves. And Peeves is a poltergeist that we learn in this chapter basically is like a manifestation of the rule breaking inside of the school. And so like if these two are to be mirrors of one another, then like Filch is almost supposed to be like an aggressive adherence to the, to the rules. rules. Right. So if like if if Peeves yeah, so the way poltergeists are made in the wizarding world is that if there's too much of one behavior, so like in the example of Hogwarts Castle, there's like so much rule breaking all the time by the students that it has manifested the poltergeist Peeves, which is why he's different from ghosts. Yes. And so he is the literal like embodiment of breaking the rules, which is why no one can control him any yeah. of the time. Right. So conversely our theory is that Filch is the opposite. He is the manifestation of all the students that are like aggressively following the rules, like the Percy's or maybe just like the teachers or whatever. And so like there is this sort of like running theme that like we've talked about on the podcast before that like magical magic is sort of, has like a what how we've been describing it has like a um like a quirkiness like a quirkiness yeah. to it like magic is inherently breaking the rules because like muggles can't use magic like the ability to use magic is breaking the rules right and so like by following the rules strictly that is a very non magical thing to do like Dumbledore like sort of quietly like even what you just said where he says like Filch has reminded me three hundred ninety two times not to you know use these products or whatever it's like he's telling them that but at the same time he's basically like please go ahead and use them right like, you know exactly, like he's like yes. lightly like, encouraging some rule breaking like yes like you know they exist but he doesn't really mind if students break the rules a little bit so if filch then is the poltergeist generated by all of the strict adherence to rules then he is non-magical at all right Yes, right. yeah, exactly. So, and maybe therefore, like, you get that squib, um, like, title attached to him. Because he looks so much more like a regular human being, whereas Peeves is, like, floating around doing all kinds of magical wackadoo things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He's, like, a more of a traditional poltergeist, whereas the kind of poltergeist that Filch is is just, like, so boring. But it's, like, otherwise, he's just, like, why, why, first, why would he want this job where he has to do manual labor for no reason? It's, like, Harry comes in at one point, like, from Quidditch, muddy somehow, and he, like, gets mud all over it, and Filch yells at him, and he's, like, it's an extra few hours of swap you know mopping for me and it's like but like it's such a mean job because yeah magically you could just get rid of the mud immediately it, yeah like, like there's is, no reason this job should be held by someone who has to do manual labor no it, it, it literally it makes no sense like it's either filter's inclusion at the school is mean or it's like literally a byproduct of the school yeah like they cannot get rid of him yes yeah. which seems more likely to me because the other thing is like Filch is like he does not seem to like like kids at all like anytime anyone in Dumbledore's presence brings up the idea of like harming the students it is like the one thing that sets him off oh like, yeah hardcore yeah. Yeah. and yet Filch is constantly like advocating for like whipping and thumbscrews and dungeons and it's like yeah you can work here it's fine it's fine it's like it's you fine. can't you can't I know that you can't do any of it yeah like, you, know, like right. you, you will never succeed in the same way that you know they, they also can't really banish uh peeves either you right know, that's that's like you know if you go into the deeper archives of it like you'll know that there have been like attempts to do so and it's like you just can't like it, you yeah just, it, it's like a calamity of the school that has to be there because this is sort of like again the quirkiness of magic exactly yeah. exactly so anyway love 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 that that's always been one of my one of my favorite um you know 
favorite theories and yes. I, I feel like it holds true and it doesn't harm the narrative at all you know it's not like it changes literally anything yeah. other than like just maybe makes you a bit more comfortable with with why and how filch is in such an unfair position oh i know other uh, also just i i know we harp on this one so i felt it's like there's so much to say for a character who is not really around much but it's like anytime harry is out in the castle at night there's always the threat of running into filch which is you know it it sounds like oh well yeah of course you know you got to be you got to have like some threat looming out in the castle but like filch is working all day so why isn't he sleeping at night yeah you know it's like he's not because he doesn't need to sleep because he's not a real person there you go um anyway moving on um i love that dumbledore tell says that first year should um note the forbidden force on the grounds is forbidden to all pupils like and you know unless you have detention in which case we'll send you right in there uh, which <laughs> yeah. i think is funny and then yeah. i also like uh how hogwarts is always described as like the safest place except for you know gringotts except maybe hogwarts or whatever so safe and yet even the opening speech dumbledore is like oh yeah the third floor corridor on the right hand side bound out of bounds everyone who does not wish to die it's like <laughs> to die what do you wait by death do you mean like you mean died? It's like, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the safest school in the world. Yeah, it's like you could die. Right, right, right. It's like as long as you follow the rules, you're completely fine. Like, did you like magically lock it with some sort of like powerful Dumbledore level spell? And it's like, I put a padlock on it. You can undo it with magic you've learned before you got here. Alohomora. You know, can, don't worry about it. Can, oh my gosh, you set me up so nicely. Yeah. Can I can, can I get, can I give you a bit of a bit of information and knowledge yeah. here? <laughs> um, is no, because you're exactly right. Um, Aloha Mora is a term that uh, is specifically taken from, um, and I, I hope I don't butcher this explanation, but it's it's a like field of. Um, like fortune telling called uh, geomancy. Oh, um, and it comes from like Madagascar, and there's a whole batch of um, terms that fall underneath of this. Aloha Mora is one of them, which I think is supposed to like roughly translate to like thieves friend. Uh, oh, okay. or, or friendly to thieves, I ah. think is what it's supposed to be. Um, but interestingly, other terms inside of geomancy include Capit Draconis, what? which is going to be the password to get into the Gryffindor common room. It's the first that's, one we ever learned. That's interesting. Other terms include Albus, Rubeus, and Fortuna Major, which is what? also a future Gryffindor password. password yeah. So a whole bunch of words have been borrowed from uh, geomancy, which again is this is this like Madagascar um, version version of fortune telling. Well, that's interesting because I looked up what what Caput Draconis was, and it's actually just Latin for dragon's head. It is dragon's head. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And and even in geomancy, that is also what it means. Okay. Um, so you're you're yeah like nail on the head there. But uh, which I also that was the reason that I started going down that that um, that hole in the first place because I was like dragon's head like you know like what what is this why why would this be the first password like it feels like it's asking to have significance and i mean we know that like like the capa draconis i think is the head of the draco uh star constellation um which okay that'd be interesting since draco is a character draco is a character yeah um like but head of the dragon it's like it's like is, is there some possibility that this is supposed to be like a little like friendly nudge to the gryffindors like hey we got to take down those slytherins they keep winning the house cup like right you know like is it like a like 
you know, be aware of the head. But of the like, dragon. they don't know Draco's going to be in Slytherin. No, they don't. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 really just kind of like random and odd. Like I don't. But I don't then I guess the what's the um the school motto like never tickle a sleeping dragon. Yes. Right. So then the password is head of the dragon. Yep. Right. So is the is like is like the castle itself like a like a like a metaphor for a dragon. In which case, then the Gryffindors are basically like, yeah, we're the head of the dragon. We're the head. I mean, they are in a and tower. Up at they the top, are in a tower. So. And then if you were to say, like, never tickle a sleeping dragon, that could be like a reference to, like, Voldemort attacking the school in book seven. Like, look what happens. If you damn, okay. You know, yeah. Um, priori incantatum. Or, no, that's, that's the wrong word. What is it? Locomotor. Mm, oh, pure totem locomotor. Yeah. Oh, you mean yeah, the, yeah. The, the the defensive <laughs> spell? I always wanted to use that spell. One, one of the greatest oh. Maggie Smith Minerva McGonagall moments in in all of so the films, uh, which is saying something because she has so many. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So no, I I thought that that was um, I thought it was very. You brought up the Alohomora, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so many fun facts about oh, like man. exactly where where this came from. I'm and loving th- the idea of Hogwarts as a dragon. Yeah. Never tickle a sleeping dragon. Yeah. Never tickle. Oh man. Then then it's like, oh boy. Now 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 I'm going like, my sorry, my head is immediately spinning. I'm like, what if the castle is like a transfigured dragon? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whoa. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Here we go. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna think about it more. Let me know what you guys think in review form. Five stars. Okay, okay, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Can you? Um, okay, so here na- now, now my mind is like spinning on like a season finale of our founder series where um, the four founders have found themselves in like the mountains of Scotland, and there is a gigantic dragon. Gigantic, like like huge, massive, massive. But and and it's like it's like the the adversary, but like maybe not like maybe it's not like an evil kind of adversary. It's more like like dangerous. Um, because, because of like some other reason, but it's like, it's not really like the, like the dragon's fault of, right, you know, right. But like, so the, the end result is sort of like, they have this like, ha ha hilarious calamity, like don't tickle a sleeping dragon. Like we all know better now, don't we? But like, at least now we're living inside of the halls. That was formerly that giant. That was formerly a dragon. But you know, this reminds me like, cause we have the theory that the night bus is like a transfigured Zowu. Yes, we do. Yeah. Which is like, so, so that would lend some, some credence to like animals could become I mean it's just transfiguration animals could become like a like a like a larger physical structure well, we or something I mean, yeah we even know that like in in uh transfigur- transfiguration class it's pretty common for them to transfigure um like objects into animals oh, the more I'm thinking about it the more I'm loving this idea just straight up that the castle was a dragon and and that the Gryffindor common room is the head of the dragon the Gryffindor common room is the head of the dragon oh there's so much. okay there's other things you'd have to explain but I feel like I already work okay listen all right let's see um I believe the reason the castle is located where it is is because Rowena Ravenclaw was a seer yep okay. right and she had a dream one night about a um, a boar digging in the ground on top of a cliff. Okay. And then they, when, um, the, which is why it's called Hogwarts, because it's a, a hog that's digging in the ground. And like that's the location where the castle is built. Okay. So um, they go there. And then apparently, when they dig where the hog was digging, that's when they find the pensive, um, which is, I don't know how that fits in with the dragon idea. Now I'm like, is the pensive the brain of the dragon or something? Or, yeah. the, um, that would <laughs> be know, really cool. It'd make like, it a very singular object. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But like pensives are not necessarily singular 
things, unless this has happened more times than once. Right, right. Um, so the other thing. Okay, so what is the description that's given when Muggles see Hogwarts? Because it's supposed to. Is it like smoldering? It's old supposed ruin? to look like ruins. Yeah. Does it say smoldering, or am I adding smoldering? Uh, I don't know. Because it feels like it's a goblet of fire trivia question. That's when they're talking about how no one knows where Hogwarts is. Yeah, yeah, but like that—that's like one of those where it's like smoldering. Smoldering Smoldering's a little more dragony. I know. Yeah. I, I know. Like, oh, like, hold on. Okay, I'm, you keep, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up smoldering on my on my ebook version of Goblet of Fire because now I'm really curious. Are we onto something? Are we having a theory mid podcast? Oh my gosh, this I, mean, I can't even tell you guys. This is so frequently how it happens. And I know one of the one of the chief objectives. I feel like we had uh in in doing this particular podcast or the, yeah do, doing through the gryffindor was like we're going to be combing through this book in a way that we've never done it before like we've both read it a lot um but we've never gone through and like really examined like every single detail in in the same way that we are this time so it's it's fun to even like feel it like happening in real time or doing okay. smoldering is used but it is not a, to describe what the castle looks like to muggles but okay. i know i know darn darn double darn butts 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 okay um i'm just gonna look up ruins and see what the word actually is not that it necessarily matters the modern is oh no ruins isn't even used to describe the castle itself at all so don't worry about that we'll worry about this later um Possible theory: Hogwarts was a dragon. Hogwarts was a dragon. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like yeah. it. So anyway, yeah, and it, uh, hopefully that was an enjoyable experience watching us like brainstorm in real time. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, if when we make a video about it, it'll be more highly refined than that. Um, that being said, we can we can close off pretty nicely with the chapter because we do get one of Harry's infamous dreams. Yes, um, Harry's dreams are always really, really, really important to the overall story. A lot of times, they're telling him things uh, that he like will come to know, needs to know, like. He learns a lot from his dreams. In this particular case, it's it's actually not it, that situation. It's because, really just for our benefit. Yeah, this is it, it's a rare occasion where um, the like omniscient uh, narrator um, is able to give us a piece of information that Harry himself doesn't know. That could be a bit of a tip of the hat, no pun intended, uh, towards what is actually going to happen as the story unfolds. Right. And, and again, it, it's actually quite telling because basically. Um, it, it says, perhaps Harry had eaten a bit too much because he had a very strange dream. He was wearing Professor Quirrell's turban, which kept talking to him. That's sort of like a little bit of a yeah. like sorting hat reference. Yeah. Um, a little bit, but then it's also just like Voldemort's head underneath the turban. Right, right, yeah. right. But but like I feel like at this point in time, it's sort of like you're just supposed to have like a a swirl of all of the the night's events kind of like racing through Harry's yeah. mind. So it's like, ah, oh, the, tur- the turban, why not? Like that could be one of the things that's, right. that's going on in there. But in reality, like... Th- this is almost his dream telling him like, Hey, you know, there is something inside of Coral's turban that could talk to you. Right. Um, but basically that thing is telling him that he must transfer to Slytherin at once because it was his destiny. This feels like, you know, we talked a little bit about like the, uh, the sorting hat, uh, as it's reviewing Harry's own mind, and I can't believe we actually haven't even really super talked about this that much, um, but it pretty much provides an accolade to uh, each of the various houses for Harry. So what the Sorting Hat says when Harry puts it on is difficult, very difficult, plenty of courage, Courage, I see. Not a bad mind either. So those are, of course, uh, Gryffindor, Gryffindor Ravenclaw. And, yeah, respectively. There's, there's talent, oh my goodness, yes, which could... It, it's. I can't necessarily specifically pin it to Hufflepuff because it seems like all the houses have talent, but because the next one is and a nice thirst to prove yourself. Now that's interesting. That feels like the Slytherin. 
nod. Yeah, it feels like so they're on so by like process of elimination, the talent one must be helpful buff. Is what it feels like. Yeah. Kind of feels like when you think about like Cedric, that sort of makes sense too. It definitely does. Yeah. yeah like he he's like just like a highly talented wizard. And and if Cedric is to embody what it means to be a helpful puff in like its most like obvious way, then then yeah. I think it's an easy sell for me. Yeah. That that's what that's in regards to. But the big question here is like, is there is part of the reason that the house is considering Slytherin, or if the hat is considering Slytherin for Harry because of the piece of Voldemort's soul that we know is inside of Harry. Right. Like, is it misleading the, the hat. hat? You know, because the hat's like, I'm never wrong. And it's like, yeah, but how often are you examining a soul that literally has two souls? Right. Yeah. Um, and so what, what's kind of interesting about it is that, like, you know, the fact that um, the turban is insisting that Harry transfer to Slytherin because it was his destiny. Like, to me, that feels like that's what it's saying. Like, that that it is the piece of Voldemort's soul. Oh, that's like telling him to go to Slytherin? Yeah. Or that's that, informing that, the hat? Yeah. Well, well, the other part that you could, uh, I guess you could say, is that because we know that under the turban is Voldemort. Yes. Right. So if if that's the case, then if the turban is talking to him in his dream, is it possible that like Voldemort is already aware of Harry and like, is he the one behind the dream? Ooh. You know, like he's just like, Oh, I know who I'm going to mess with tonight. <laughs> well, I think that that's very likely because yeah. we know that like for the first time that Harry, the first time we ever witness, um, having like a, like a physiological reaction to the proximity to Voldemort is when, uh, Quirrell's turban is facing him. Yeah. And in that instance, it basically feels like what, what happened is Voldemort was like, there he is. Yep. You know, and like that, that made him feel, it made, made Voldemort feel some kind of emotion that then Harry also tends to feel because it seems like that's how it usually works. Yeah. Is Harry typically feels the scar hurt whenever Voldemort is feeling something strongly. Right. Um, Hmm. So that then yeah I don't know I think that's pretty interesting, um, but it's a pretty yeah it's a, it's a pretty telling dream um, you know uh, and and of course you know you get a little bit of Malfoy in there a little bit of Snape in there both yeah, of whom uh, like throw you off a little yeah pretty much constant red herrings for the next five books where yeah. you're, you're until they aren't until they aren't until they aren't and you finally 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 get to be like wow Harry has only said it like eight million times and now we finally got to be right yep um, but yeah so that that's sort of like what it closes it out on. Uh, I feel like I relate to this dream because I feel like I have dreams like this constantly where it's just like a total amalgamation of my day's events. Right. Sort of like all morphing into this weird blob right. of, of like connective, like why am I having all of these different people in the same room at the same time? And it's like because they were all stressful things that happened inside of your day and they're all sort right. of like coalesced <laughs> into this weird jelly of, of brain thought. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway. Jelly of brain thought. Jelly of brain thought. Oh yeah, so anyway, when I read that, I'm like, I've had this dream before. <laughs> Not quite literally, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that is chapter seven. That's chapter seven. Yeah, a lot happens. A lot happens. A lot. It's a pretty cool chapter. I feel like I have really enjoyed this one. There's there's so much that we were able to uh, unpack overall from it. So yeah, I mean it's a it's a very important chapter. Harry getting sorted and like the ramifications of this night are like set up most of book two. Yes. Yep, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um. So there's there. I do have a review. Oh, lay it uh, on me. for the day. This is from uh, everywhere. Adam 
who says, hey, brother, and then four fire emojis. This is a short one. It just says, I've loved the Harry Potter series for 26 years. The Carlin brothers are my only source for deep dives into the wizard world. Oh, that's so oh, cool. Thanks everywhere, Adam. I love that. Yeah, thank you so much, Adam, for leaving a review. Uh, as ever, if you would like to leave a review uh, you know, on the podcast, it certainly helps us out a lot and some discoverability. And we might just read your review here on the pod. Especially if you're reviewing from Sweden. As just a gentle <laughs> reminder. There, just a gentle yeah. reminder. We want to get back in number one, okay? We want to be back in your good books. Yeah, back in your good books. Let's do it. You, you get it? Your good books? I get it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was incredibly clever. As yes, you yeah. no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> anyway, but guys, I think that is all for this week. Yeah, join us uh, next week for Chapter 8, The Potions Master Through the Gryffindor. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.